If you look at Jeremiah 46 down to, uh, to chapter 51, 46 to 51, it's sort of like, if you know Isaiah well, those that were around for that series, it's sort of like Isaiah 13 to 23. It's a collection of messages to the nations around Judah, uh, similar to Ezekiel 25 to 32. These are the messages to the other nations, right? And so, interestingly enough, as I've mentioned in passing before, Jeremiah is a little more chopped up than most of the other prophetic books. And in fact, there's a couple different versions, the way that they're chopped, the way they're put together, uh, maybe because of the story we read in chapter 36 where Jehoiakim burns up his book and has to kind of be republished. So anyway, because of that, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this set of messages is actually right after the New Covenant promises, uh, the passages, and it makes it look more like these are messages from past history. But in the Hebrew text that we have, that we use, they're placed at the end, suggesting that there's, yeah, historical fulfillment, but also what we might call eschatological end time fulfillment, which I believe is correct. And so in other words, there was a sense in which they were fulfilled. We'll mention that today, a, a couple cases here. But there's also a sense in which it's about the judgment of all nations ultimately at the end of time. So God does rule all nations. The question is, how does God rule all nations? So what we'll see this morning in the snippet of passages we'll look at is that God rules all nations several different ways. The first way that God rules is through judgment. So all of Jeremiah chapters 46, 47, 48, and 49 basically describe the results of the Babylonian army tearing through the Middle East from east to west. And they just tear through and devastate. Um, so God is sovereign and he judges evil in every nation. Specifically, maybe just give you a couple snippets. Look at chapter 46, it's, uh, initially about Egypt. It says, it actually tells us in um, verse 2, this is the message against the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was defeated at Carchemish on the Euphrates River by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. All right, so we know about this as well from secular history, outside history, that what happened was the balance of power shifted from the Assyrians to the Babylonians when there was initial defeat of the Assyrians in Nineveh, and then they all run away, combined with the Egyptian army that was trying to support them, to a Syrian city named Carchemish, and Crown Prince Nebuchadnezzar, he's not yet king at that time, goes to Carchemish, and he wipes them out. And the shift of power in 605 B.C. in the ancient Middle East has occurred, and Babylon is now in the saddle. They are ruling and influencing, and they take over from there for several generations. And so uh, it predicts this, but notice in chapter 46, verse 25, the theological nuance here. So verse 25 of the same chapter about Egypt. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, I'm about to bring punishment on Ammon, God of Thebes, in other words, in Egypt, on Pharaoh, on Egypt, and her gods, and her kings, and those who rely on Pharaoh. So that's judgment on Egypt, first of all. And then in chapter 47, judgment on the Philistines, who were neighbors to Israel, 
um, there's a brief mention in verse 5 of Gaza will shave her head in mourning, Ashkelon will be silenced, O remnant of the plain, how long will you cut yourselves? And this is a reference to various pagan rituals. They would try to slash themselves in the midst of worship and in the frenzy, hoping that the shedding of their blood would attract the attention of their God. And uh, so this passage is saying, Philistines, you're going to try, but all your pagan rituals aren't going to do it, right? It's just, it's not, it will not have any effect. Nebuchadnezzar's coming through, he's going to wipe you out. And so, but then we'll get a little more detail. Next chapter, two chapters down, uh, chapter 48, we'll read a few verses and slow down a little bit. 48, now we're talking about Moab. Verse, uh, let's read verses 7 and 8. Since you trust in your deeds and riches, you too will be taken captive and Chamash, that's their God, and Chamash will go into exile together with his priests and officials. The destroyer will come against every town, not a town will escape. Every valley will be ruined, the plateau destroyed because the Lord has spoken. So Moab will be judged for what? Trust in their riches and also read in verse 29, same chapter, the other sin. We've heard of Moab's pride, her overweening pride and conceit, her pride and arrogance and the haughtiness of her heart, I know that her insolence is futile, declares the Lord, and her boasts accomplish nothing. So pride and arrogance. So they'll be judged for trusting in riches, trusting in their deeds, trusting in Chamash, their God, who is actually uh, one of the gods where they perform the fire rituals, right? That's when you would burn your firstborn in the fire to try to get the God to do something and as well their pride and arrogance. Okay, well, they were bad, right? But then, read verses 31 and 32. This is God speaking. Therefore, I will wail over Moab. For all Moab, I cry out. I moan for the men of Kirharesha. I weep for you as Jazer weeps, O vines of Sibma. Your branches spread as far as the sea. They reach as far as the sea of Jazer. The destroyer has fallen on your ripened fruit and grapes. It goes on and on. Joy and gladness are gone. So judgment comes, but God weeps over the judgment, mourns over the judgment. And then our last illustration of this, chapter 49, 16, and 17, now the nation of Edom. So they are descendants of Esau, so they are very closely related to Israel. Read verse 16 of chapter 49 to get another snippet of this. The terror you inspire, this is the Edomites, and the pride of your heart have deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks, who occupy the heights of the hill. Though you build your nest as high as the eagles, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Edom will become an object of horror all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff because of its wounds. Now, Edom, all they controlled was some highlands in kind of a deserty area. Star Wars fans uh, picture the Tuscan Raiders, right? You know, the real deserty area, and they come down with those weird masks, and you know, yeah, okay. That, the Edomites were kind of like that, right? They're, all, they do, all they have is control of the trade passes. 
So they don't have any natural agriculture. So they control the trade passes. They basically extort various nations. Say, well, if you want to come through with your trade goods, we want money, right? So that's how they made their money. And so they thought they were pretty rough, right? And God says, uh, you know, you think you're unassailable, but God will bring you down, right? Pride again. So that gives you a flavor for God's heart, judgment over pride, judgment over greed, judgment over various sins, and yet grief. Uh, Earlier, just another quick snippet, in chapter 45, God's speaking to Baruch, Jeremiah's um, secretary, essentially. And he says, the Lord said, say this to him. This is what the Lord says. I will uh, overthrow what I built, uproot what I planted throughout the land. You know, Babylon's coming and destroy the whole Middle East. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I'll let you escape with your life. So he's saying to Baruch, who's kind of a type of the people of God here, I am bringing judgment. I'm devastating the Middle East. And so you think you're going to be a millionaire? You know, no. <laughs> he says, but I'll keep you alive while judgment's coming on the larger world around you. That's the promise to the believer. Whatever God is doing in the world today, whatever he might be doing in the United States today, he'll take care of his people, but that doesn't mean we'll be immune in some little tower, right? Uh, so, so what do we learn here? Judah's not being treated harsher than others. The people of God are not being treated harsher than others. God judges pride, trust in money, trust in false gods. Anything that uh, folly and weakness is revealed. But just as with Judah, God is grieved that the judgment must come. His heart is broken. So God cares about his people, but he brings judgment into our lives. And uh, if we were to analyze this a little more carefully, uh, which I will not do in detail for you today, but you can read these passages, the judgment comes two ways. It comes as natural consequences. Where are the parents, right? right? There's some things you do not have to invent a discipline for, right? You know, you tell the kid, do not climb the bookshelf right? All the books come sliding down and bonk the kid on the head. You're like, okay, right? We got it now, right? No more climbing on bookshelves, right? Okay, so a natural consequences, right? Uh, but then also God does bring the Nebuchadnezzars of life at times. Well, he's like, I'm going to change history. I'm going to change maybe the political, social, or economic face of the world. So hang on, this is me, God's saying. Right? So both God uses to execute judgment. Well, what does this tell us as the people of God? Well, it tells us, as came out in the prophetic ministry earlier, God wants to bring healing and fulfillment, but we do have to change. We have to repent of what we can Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see that? Sin gets paid for, grace is free, but sin still bears, it brings death-like reality into our lives. So God brings judgment so that we will repent, 
But do not forget, and some of us need to hear, that even as the discipline is coming, God laments. His heart is broken. It is never his first choice. But he will allow the discipline, he will allow the consequences so that we can experience his grace and restoration. And so if you've experienced, you know what I'm talking about? You experienced consequences, you know you were wrong. And there's no, there's no good answer except I'm sorry. Right? And those moments of humility, what we need to see and remember, those moments of humility are a gift. Because God does want to bless. And so he wants to position us for blessing. Position us. And so we have to have faith So also as we minister, those that are part of the business meeting, uh, normally it's it's a community life meeting, I'm sorry, but it is some business this time, (laughs) okay? So we have a few votes, we have a few things, we give an update, but we actually have a very important uh, constitutional amendment and uh, some of concerns issues of of, uh, pro-life, and others have, uh, are related to issues of human sexuality. And what we've been advised is that it's important in those areas uh, for legal freedom in the future to not just have a general statement of faith, but in your statement of faith, be very specific about these areas. So that's what the amendments are about, to be very specific in these areas, human sexuality and uh, the pro-life issues, right? But as we put those words in our Constitution, I want to remind you of a core value of mine, Keith, Sojourn Campus Church, that we never put these things in place as some kind of declaration of how good and pure we are. No. We put these things in place because our hearts are broken for those who are struggling. And we want to continue to have the freedom to hold out hope to the broken. That the heart is never to point a finger, but the heart is to bring life, to bring hope. Because guess what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And no one will stand before God in pride and arrogance. No one. And so whether it's an issue of same-sex attraction, transgender, or the unfortunately more common just plain old pornography habit, we want the freedom to minister the grace and life of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's why we're here. And so we repent of our sin as we become aware of it and we grieve as we care for people fighting through confusion related to maybe sexuality or money or pride or false idols. Because the first way God rules is through judgment. But there's another way God rules. The second way God rules is through genuine human freedom. Now, this one's a little more intellectual, 
I want you to hang on here. This is an important truth of Jeremiah that I've been hinting at, but now we're going to make it very explicit, all right? Second way God rules is through genuine human freedom. It's very important for understanding Jeremiah, and it's actually very important for understanding and helping people to grasp the Old Testament and how can God be good, all right? So let's just look at this. Look at a very interesting passage in chapter 49. There's a couple little, um, we might call them Bedouin tribes that are addressed, and one of them we can't even figure out where they're from. But they're just, they're so obscure. But they get a little message here from Jeremiah as well. So, uh, Kedar and Hazar. So, verse 28 of Jeremiah 49. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazar. When I say kingdoms, we're talking, think, you know, a bunch of uh, tents (laughs) gathered together. Bedouin tents, right? So, don't think castles, right? Okay. So, here they are. Um, This is what the Lord says. Arise, attack Kedar, and destroy the people of the east. Their tents and their flocks will be taken. Their shelters will be carried off. With all their goods and camels, men will shout to them, Terror on every side! Okay, there's the judgment. But then here's some interesting advice. Kind of a weird passage. Flee quickly away. Stay in deep caves, you who live in Hazor, declares the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has plotted against you. He's devised a plan against you. Well, what? Wait a minute now, is this God or is this Nebuchadnezzar? So follow through this carefully. It's kind of weird, right? God says, this is going to happen, so flee. It gets weirder. Next week we'll see this. In Jeremiah 50 and 51, the judgment on Babylon, Babylon is judged for how they did what God told them to do. Now, Jeremiah here is nuancing Habakkuk. If you know Habakkuk, Habakkuk just says, how can you use, you know, these evil Babylonians to exercise judgment? And God answers him. Jeremiah nuances this. He reminds us that human vessels raised up by God still have what we call agency. In other words, they still have responsibility and freedom in how they carry out what God wills them to do. Right? So in other words, when God raises up a, a movement to accomplish something in the world, for whatever reason, right, uh, a Mao Zedong or a Pol Pot, has their, they're allowed to rise up. He's doing something, but that doesn't mean that everything they do is according to his will. That God brings in movements, primarily, I think, to open up peoples to the gospel, but he doesn't have, he doesn't, they're not robots, Right? They're evil people who still do what they do in their own way. So they have freedom and responsibility in how they accomplish his will. So we read in verses 28 and 29, God's plan in Nebuchadnezzar's appear to overlap. God's plan is accomplished through Babylon, but God does not will all of the devastation and rape that the Babylonians use in carrying out their mandate. In other words, in the ordered freedom of creation, God's sovereignty leaves room for genuine human freedom. This is one of the most profound things that Jeremiah teaches. I'll say it again. God's sovereignty leaves room for genuine human freedom and agency so that we can say God sweeps through history with different movements but does not necessarily will all that is done through those movements because he made us free. So this is why God can speak judgment, but then say, here's how I actually understand this passage. God raises up Babylon to do some things, but you got these poor little Bedouin tribes. He's like, 
God's saying, but there, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of a rough tool. So get out of his way, right? Go hide in the desert. Go find some oasis somewhere and disappear. It's very similar if you were part of the whole series. At times, God says, I'm going to judge Judah through Babylon. But he even says to King Zedekiah, if you will cooperate with him, Jerusalem won't be devastated and you will live and your sons will live. Well, he doesn't obey that and they're devastated. You see? So again, a little more intellectual point here. You know, but sometimes, once in a while, you'll be asked by someone who's either struggling in the Lord or they're coming toward Christianity, but they know some of these weird things in the Old Testament. They'll ask, well, you know, and we just go, I don't know. No, there's a better answer, right? You you can know, right? (laughs) You you can know that, hey, tell them, well, the Bible's actually a little more nuanced than you might think. And God does understand that. And actually, it's a very important thing to tell people. That God does do things in history. He is in charge. But he never removes the freedom of his vessels. And so working with evil human vessels, things get a little crazy. And that's an important understanding that the Old Testament brings to the understanding of the sovereignty of God. What does it say to us? Be as wise as possible in times of judgment. I mean, to be a little bit whimsical, but you know, if God's sending disease, wear a mask, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't mean he wants you to get sick, you know, whatever reason he's got doing this, right? We can be wise. Uh, If weird laws are being passed, do what you can to avoid difficulty. But secondly, just like Babylon, although we are, live in the forces of history, you are a free agent. You can choose how you respond to the times around you. The people of God can make a choice how we're going to respond to the times around us. So crucial that we would be a light in times of darkness. It's a great opportunity. Third implication, we've kind of already said it, don't blame God for human sin. There's an old song I sing at night when I get in kind of a wacky mood and my kids are used to it. You know, don't blame God for the sins of America. If you're old enough to know what that song is, you know, you're really old. Anyway, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's true, right? That uh, it's, uh, you don't blame God for human sin because the second way God rules is through genuine human freedom. One other way that Jeremiah gives us in this passage that God rules is through gracious restoration. Now, if you read these chapters carefully, and again, we'll just give you snippets so you get a feel here, you'll find that Egypt, Moab, Ammon, and even Babylon are called God's daughter. Even Babylon has a relationship. God has a relationship with them, I should say. They don't really have a relationship with him, but he's, he is reaching out, my daughter, In these chapters, even after judgment, he promises restoration to four nations. It's only one verse long. I'm going to have you read it. Just 46, 26, you know, all this judgment, 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 judgment on Egypt. And the very last verse, verse, uh, not quite the last verse of the chapter, but uh, uh, verse 26. I will hand them over to those who seek their lives to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. Later, however... Egypt will be inhabited as in times past, declares the Lord, which happened, of course. Read chapter 48 
uh, believe this time it is the very last verse, verse 47. Yes. How about Moab? Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in days to come, declares the Lord. Interesting. Uh, chapter uh, 49, verse 6. Yet afterwards I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. And then uh, finally, chapter 49, verse 39. Yet I'll restore the fortunes of Elam in days to come, declares the Lord. That was near Babylon. That was part of Babylon, actually. Wow. So how are these fulfilled? Well, we know from history these nations continued as people groups uh, in the Persian period under the Persians. But there's a more profound fulfillment I want you to see, and we'll actually look at Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 9. It's the day of Pentecost, and Elam is mentioned along with many other people groups. So let me just read this to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 9. You know, the Holy Spirit's fallen, and the crowd is gathered, and they're amazed. And in verse 7, they say, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. And he goes on from there. Right? So that on the day of Pentecost, and if you understand the day of Pentecost is the great parentheses in the Bible, right? So Genesis 1 through 11, all nations... Right at the end of 11, multiple languages as judgment, the Tower of Babel. Then you have all of Israel's salvation history. Jesus shows up, dies on the cross for our sins, is resurrected. And then multiple languages now as a blessing to all nations. We're now concerned with all nations again. And who is mentioned but one of the very peoples in this judgment passage of Jeremiah. God has a plan to restore, and he restored them in the Persian Empire. But more profoundly, God has a plan to bring all nations to himself through Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. We've got a little amen over there. God has a plan to restore all nations to himself in Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah. So let's read it. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9, 10, and 11. Revelation 7, 9 through 11. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, Hallelujah, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Hallelujah. That is God's plan. Heaven is multicultural, <laughs> right? All nations. God wants people from every nation restored to himself. Sojourn, our call, especially as a university church, is to love people of every ethnicity and every nation of origin. And I want to invite you to be praying with us for international students, for intentional mission, and racial reconciliation in the cross. International students, Intentional mission, which we're already involved in, but continuing that. Pashis are raising support right now. And racial reconciliation at the foot of the cross in Christ. That's where it happens. That's, by the way, one of the witnesses of the church in this hour to a broken nation. 
because the third way God rules is through gracious restoration in Jesus. Now, I freely confess to you, this was a bunch of chapters, and I gave you snip, 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 just to kind of give you a flavor for what's going on theologically in these chapters. They're well worth a close reading. Just wanted to get you oriented and aware. Um, We've already spent six months on Jeremiah, one more sermon next Sunday, and, you know, it's just time to move on to the New Testament, right? (laughs) But uh, I think it's just exploded on us, right? It's been amazing. But so what are we saying today? God rules all nations through judgment. And some of you, as you sit here this morning, your step is simply to repent. It's just to turn toward him. Let me explain what that means. Change your mind, change your plan, and ask God to change your heart. Right? Change your mind, change your plan, and ask God to do what you cannot do yourself, which is to change your desires, your heart. Okay? Some need to repent. Others of us, you have written off some people in your mind. You have given up. And the Lord is encouraging you to put them back on your prayer list. Put them back on your prayer list. Put them back on your prayer list. God is in the business of transforming the unmentionable. He's in the business of taking the weak and making them strong. That's what he does in times that we're living in. So what's your step today? Stand together, we're going to pray. Hallelujah. Lord, you know my own heart where I need transformation. You know the people that I have so little faith for. But Lord, you are the God of the impossible. So Father, we stand before you this morning. We are so aware that we have been saved by grace through faith. We're justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as Elisa shared. And so, Father, we we rejoice in that. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes right now. And my eyes are open, just so you know, and I'm going to pray. I think there are some here that you are, you're trapped by shame. And your first step is that prophetic step we're talking about earlier in the prophetic period. You need to be restored in really trusting that you're justified by faith, you have peace with God. Just raise your hand, we'll pray. You just, you just need to know that peace with God. Yeah, yeah, let's just pray together. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would reveal the power of your blood to forgive and transform. And Father, when, when you have forgiven us, You no longer see our sin. Now, there's reasons to repent. We don't want to continue to damage ourselves or others, but we're utterly forgiven. It's removed. It's gone. So, Father, every 
sin that's being confessed right now in a heart, I pray that you would manifest the power of your grace and that the inner soul would be aware of what we know to be true theologically, that you have utterly declared righteous every person who's standing here who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what this week looked like, no matter what our behavior was, as we stand trusting in Christ alone, we are declared righteous by faith. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that, oh God. Hallelujah. Now a step of humility. Again, every eye closed, please. But you say, you, have a, you know you're forgiven, but you have a serious need for transformation. Just raise your hand. We're going to pray right now. Just there's a need for transformation. Yeah, yeah. Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray for the breaking of addictions. We pray for a spirit of humility. Lord, your word says you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may lift us up in due time, casting all our anxiety on you. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we rebuke unbelief now. We rebuke in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We rebuke unbelief where it's taken root. We break it in Jesus' name. We rebuke it in Jesus' name. Lift that thing in Jesus' name. Oh, God, lift unbelief, oh, God, in Jesus' name. Deliver, Lord God, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, we just want to trust you. We want to trust you. We want to live dependent on you moment by moment. Hallelujah. Glorify your name, oh God. Hallelujah. 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 We're going to close in a moment. And uh, those that are ready to pray for people, I'm just going to ask you to come up front and so people can come to you and receive prayer. See if you're ready to minister in prayer. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. If you just want to pray over these things a little bit, I'm going to encourage you, uh, grab one of these folks and just, uh, just share with them and pray a little bit, pray into it. Doesn't you have to be related to what we just talked about? You just say, I just, I just want to pray with somebody. They'll pray with you. They may share a scripture with you, a thought, and help encourage you. So if you'd like to receive prayer as I am closing in prayer, uh, you feel free to come. And uh, for those that are online, you say, you know, I really would just like to pray with somebody. Just email us and we will, it might be an email prayer back or if we're able to give us a phone number, we'll call you back and Keith or I will pray with you in the next couple of days. So, okay. So, all right. So then let's just close our time together with uh, these words from 2 Corinthians 13. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, saturate, Lord, the love of God the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen.